The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah soft made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hi, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. I am going to start this podcast with a quick story. Um, I flew a couple weeks ago and... I I don't even really know how to tell this story without, I really am going to sound stupid. And if you have listened for a long time, then, you know, I can make fun of myself and that's how I roll. I'm, I'm not the brightest. What is it? The brightest bulb, the, the brightest, the sharpest tool in the tool shed. Let's put it that way. I know that not my strength. So I get to Dulles or Reagan Airport in Washington, D.C., and I had reserved a car and I had reserved a small crossover SUV. So I go to the place and long story short, they give me this massive car. And I am the I'm going to tell you this. I failed my driver's test like five times when I was 16. Mr. Vidal was my driving instructor. And honestly, like I thought he was going to tell my mom, like, don't ever let her get behind the wheel. I'm the I'm just not the best driver. I'm just going to tell you that. So I get in the I get in this SUV. It took me a solid, I would say, 15 minutes. I sat there and I could not figure out how to get the car and drive. And I was too embarrassed to ask the person that rented the car to me how to get the car and to drive. So I literally sat there for 15 minutes on the verge of crying because I knew I was scared to drive this car. I finally got the nerve. I told the person I don't understand. He came out. He was like, what is wrong with this woman? I pull out of the, I pull out of the rental place and then I get my car, like the car was so big. I immediately went over a curb. (laughs) And then it was like one of those moments where I was terrified. I knew I couldn't drive this car. So I had to get back really quickly and merge lanes. And I was screaming and I merged lanes really quick. And I went back to the rental car place with tears like streaming down my face. And I just said to them, I said, I can't, I can't drive this car. I can't drive this car. I'm so, so sorry. Give me anything you have. Long story short, I drove off with, um, like this, I don't even know what it was. It was like a full on tin can. And I felt like when I was driving it, that it was going to be lifted up. And I was, I was driving on a cloud. It was not a safe, good car. I was so scared, but I didn't even care. Everyone, that's my story for the week. I am going to uh, introduce my guest, Haley Ricks. Uh, Haley, uh, before I, I 
give your title and talk to you about what we're about to talk about. Any ever rented a car, ever gone through my situation? Um, I've not that particular situation, but I mean, I've rented cars and I have anxiety when I'm getting in any car I haven't driven. So I'm like, my husband's a car. Um, and he's like, yeah, just take it to the grocery store. He's like, but be careful. And it like immediately, I'm like, oh my God, you put that out in the universe. Like, no, like, I don't know. Like it made me more anxious. So I was driving like, you know, 10 miles an hour the whole way to the grocery store. That's how I was. I was white knuckling it in this car. And I, it was the car that I ended up with was small. And I was with my friend Peyton and she was, I'm, she was hysterically laughing because it is kind of funny. And when I returned to the car, I could tell they were all talking to each other like, what a moron, like what a blonde idiot. Anyways, um, so that's what happened. It was very, very embarrassing, um, but I'm going to introduce you. We've all been put here for a reason, and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. Haley Ricks is the founder of Stillborn, Still Loved Foundation. She is a grief coach and an author. And as you all know, uh, my podcast can be serious and, um, and I like to talk about things that are really hard. Grief is one of them. Loss. I, I like to also start the podcast late cause we're going to be going into something very sad, but I felt like for the past, I would say, I would say for the past six months, I always have topics that kind of come to me in my, in my sleep or at night. And I said, I really want to do something about what it's like to be a woman and either go through the loss of a miscarriage or the loss of, which is the most horrifically awful is stillborn. And I know that this is a universal thing that women just, we, we don't talk about. And so I thought it was so important because I know there's so many women out there, Haley, that need you and they need your voice. And so I'm really, really honored that you came on my podcast. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you again. Um, like I was saying, this is something, this is a heavy topic and mm-hmm. it's, it affects so many women and men, you know, um, as fathers. And it's just, it is, it's still so taboo. Like it, you mm-hmm. know, people don't want to really talk about it. Um, and things get real awkward, you know, when you bring up that your baby's dead and mm-hmm. I use really blunt language. Um, so I apologize to anyone, you know, if I trigger people, but that is the way that I am. And I do that for a purpose. Cause I think when we soften things, it doesn't do any justice for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so uh, just warning. <laughs> yeah. So we'll start out by saying this episode could be very triggering. So if you are listening to this and you happen to be somebody that have got, has gone through a recent loss in this way, this could be a really hard thing for you to listen to. So maybe put it down for now. And when you're ready, listen to it when you're ready. Haley is also a grief coach. So she is probably the most perfect person that you could reach out to. And I'll give you all her socials at the end. First, I'm going to start with your story. So um, I know it's difficult to talk about this and I appreciate you coming on. I do have, I have, I I told you before we started recording, I have several friends that have experienced this. One, a coworker of mine, one, a friend of mine um, from long ago. And I just, when I heard the story and, and, you know, it was posted on social media, which by the way, sometimes social media is so horrifically awful, but also it's such a great tool as well. I talk a lot about suicide awareness and suicide prevention. And so I hope that people feel comfortable coming to me to talk about grief and loss and suicide prevention and all the things that I try to use my platform, my podcast and my um, Instagram for. 
So, but I want to start out telling people it's okay to maybe put this away for now and not listen to this episode. Or if you know somebody that you think might benefit from this, please share it with them and have them listen. And Haley, I'm just going to let you take it away and kind of tell, if you're comfortable, tell your story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so uh, this was, my loss was back in 2012, January. And, um, you know, I was pregnant with a little girl. I already had my son who was about two at the time. And, uh, you know, it was a, I didn't have a complicated pregnancy with my son. Everything was fine, you know? And so I didn't, like a lot of people, I didn't realize, you know, you know about miscarriages and you know that they, you know, after 12 weeks, you know, you're like kind of in a safer zone. Right. And Mm -hmm. so after that, you're like, okay, you know, people start talking about it. You feel a little bit more, um, confident, right. That you're bringing a baby home. I really didn't know anything about stillbirth. Like I knew, I knew about it, you know, like in my mind, but it was nothing that was really crossing my mind ever. Um, with my daughter, Lorelai, um, pregnancy was pretty normal as well. You know, I was sick the first trimester and just normal pregnancy stuff. Um, but on January 19th, um, you know, I had went into the doctor because I was seeing some specs, like little black specs and, um, I just felt like something was off and, you know, I go in, um, they check my blood pressure. They do all the, you know, all the regular checkup stuff. And they tell me like, Oh, okay. You know, everything looks fine. You probably just have low blood sugar, you know, just make sure you're eating. And they did the, the fetal Doppler. They didn't do an ultrasound. They just did the Doppler and they're like, her heart rate's 134. And I remember saying, you know, isn't that kind of low? Because her heart rate was always like in the 150s, like throughout mm-hmm. my whole pregnancy. So I'm, a, you know, I'm a, like, I'm not even a doctor. And I'm like, that seems kind of low. Um, and they're like, oh, it's still in the normal range. Everything's fine. So I'm like, okay, you know, so I go home and I feel relief because my doctors are sure me everything is fine. And, and then the next day, um, you know, I was just going about my regular routine and I went and took a bath and, um, I was laying there just thinking like, when was the last time I felt her move? You know, like I was sitting there and I'm just like, I can't, like, I was like racking my brain. I could not remember. Mm-hmm. And she was an extremely active baby. So it was like definitely something that like felt weird. Um, and so I, my husband, my ex-husband now, but my husband at the time, uh, you know, I told, I called him, I said, Hey, can you bring me some juice or something? Cause that's what you're told to do. Wake up the baby. Yeah. Um, drink the juice. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. 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 And that's actually not <laughs> safe medical advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, but that's what I knew, um, to do at the time. And so he brings me juice, you know, I, I'm like chugging it. Like my life depends on it. Right. And at that moment, I'm not thinking my baby's dead at that point. I'm just like, something's wrong. You know, I'm not thinking anything that traumatic or bad, you know? Um, but there was nothing, um, there was still no movement. So I'm like, we have to go. It was about 30 minutes after that. And I, I was like, we have to go to the hospital. Something's wrong with her. I think, you know, something's wrong. So we're driving and I'm like literally praying, like, please just move, just move so we can turn around and go back home. And, you know, we walk in and they immediately took me back because I was like, my, I haven't felt my baby move. And I don't remember when the last time was. They come in um, and get me laid down all prepped and everything. And they do the fetal Doppler again. And they can't, obviously, it's a nurse at that point. And she was, she was like, you know, um, let me go get the doctor. And I immediately was like, oh. Did you know something? I yeah. still didn't know, but I still wasn't thinking that, you know, yeah. like I, I was just... I don't know if my brain was protecting me or what, but I, I wasn't thinking anything like that. Um, what, do you mind me asking? Cause you might've said this and I missed it. Cause my dog tried to come into that room. Did um sorry about that. Did, did you say how many weeks you were? I didn't. I was 38 weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm considered term yeah. basically, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, so 
Where was I? Oh, yeah. So, so the nurse um, had gotten the doctor. Yeah. He goes and gets the doctor and the doctor's like, okay, you know, let's check out your baby and whatever and pulls out the ultrasound machine. And, you know, it just usually, you know, obviously they, after, you know, months of ultrasounds, you kind of know, get to know what you're looking at, you know, and I am looking at it just like searching and I could see the doctor's eyes like searching, you know, for the heart, the heartbeat. And, um, she was, you know, she was just like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, looked at her, you know, like I, I still didn't even comprehend what was happening. And she's like, sometimes these things happen, you know, this, your baby is gone. There's no heartbeat. And, and I and, just and did, went, what did they say? Like, why? What was wrong with the baby? Well, there was, okay. So that gets a little dicey because so after I, well, first of all, so I, I had to wait four hours to even get the C-section um, because two moms came into labor and they were like, they came in and told me that two moms just came into labor to deliver. We're going to have to like, it's going to be a couple Put hours. You aside. Oh my yeah. gosh. And I'm like, okay. And I, I mean, honestly, I mean, I had like tears streaming down my face, but I felt like really numb. It was a really odd um, feeling. Um, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm laying there and I'm waiting for like my surgery and my, my mom, you know, my best friend, they come rushing over to the hospital and, you know, I felt like a, I felt some movement and I, I hit the button, you know, the nurse button. I was like, she's, you know, she comes in. I'm like, I think she's moving. I think she's moving. And she's like, honey, she's floating. I'm so sorry. And I lost it. Like, I mean, just lost it. Um, and those words actually still haunt me to this day, almost more than the, the heartbeat being gone. I don't know why. Um, but that was the moment that I really, I think I hit my emotional threshold of like, I can't, this is too much, right? Like this is just too much. Um, so yeah, so I had the, I went in, they prepped me for my surgery. Um, the whole time I was being wheeled in, I was just like really hoping that I wouldn't wake up. Like I was in my head, like literally saying like, I hope something goes wrong in this surgery and I die. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't know how I was going to live anymore. I had no idea. And so we do that, you know, I come out and again, I'm just kind of like a zombie. Um, and Pete, there's all these people around me, but no one's really talking about it. No one really knows what to do. You know, the nurse comes in and asks me if I want to hold her. And I'm like, not yet. I just didn't feel ready yet. Um, my parents went in and saw her first and, you know, came back and said that she looked just like my son when he was born. And, um, so yeah, it was like the second day that I, I kind of got the, the courage to like hold her and, uh, yeah, she was beautiful. I mean, she just looked like she was sleeping. Um, they asked me if I wanted to do an autopsy and I said no, because, when she, when they took her out, they had told me that the cord was wrapped and knotted pretty tightly. Um, and the doctor believed that it was basically like cord strangulation. And, uh, it made sense with everything that had happened. You know, her heart rate was lower than it should have been. You know, she was, she was dying when I went in the day before. Like, I know that. Like, I I mean, I can't, I'm not a doctor. I can't 100% say it, but I feel like now knowing everything that I know about pregnancy and infant loss, like, and hearing all these different stories of other people's losses and stuff, I feel like I had made the right choice. Um, and at the time, I didn't, I couldn't like mentally handle the thought of my baby being like cut up and stuff. You know, like I was like, okay, it was most likely cord the cord. I'm just gonna. Yeah, go with that. you just didn't, and that makes sense. And first yeah. of all, I just need to tell you, I am. I mean, I was. I'm so sorry, but I. Another thing I will say is I've had two children. I also had a loss. Um, and I will tell you, not like yours, obviously, by any means, but I, you can understand that loss is loss for many people and women. The bond that we have with our babies is like no other. And so... I think it's important that you share how, because I'm being honest with you, I didn't even know that that could happen. And I feel really naive. I knew that the cord could get wrapped around at birth. And I knew that that was a statistic that can happen, but I didn't know that. That is 
that doesn't seem like a common thing. I mean, it's studies, the more studies that are being done about, um, you know, stillbirth and there's a, there's a foundation Mm -hmm. called push for empowered pregnancy. And they are all about like, they're from the medical standpoint, they're really pushing awareness on that. And, and, um, you know, it's like a very high percentage. I think it's like over 70% of stillbirths they think can be prevented if doctors would just listen. Because you and got the other pay. thing is the other thing is sorry to talk over you is I um I was so paranoid when I so I have a thirteen and a nine year old and when I was pregnant with my thirteen year old I was literally terrified and um I had one of those things that you can put on your stomach and like listen I don't know what they're called but it's some kind of monitor and we rented it throughout the whole pregnancy and I would do the kick counts but I think that a lot of people don't do that yeah and that's another thing that I you know there's a whole uh like with the juice thing you know that's what a lot Mm -hmm. of people think like oh I wake my baby up you know I drink some juice um or have some sugar and you know it's like oh I gotta count my kicks and that is that's all great you should count the kicks but really if you have any change at all whether it's either you could be kicking too much even if there's any change in your baby's behavior you go in you go in right away yeah Yeah. I think I think that most people don't think this way. I'm being honest. I think that most people like you, like not, you're just like, you get pregnant and then you, you carry your baby, you're 38 weeks. You've gotten out of that really scary period of the 12 weeks. And then you're just, you know, kind of waiting and you think I do the nursery, I do all this stuff, but the amount of trauma of, of number one, like the loss that you went through, which I'm so, so sorry about. I can't even, I literally cannot even imagine how horrifically awful that was. Um, but also to have to like walk out and deal with all of the post trauma of you, you look pregnant you are, you know, you're, you're carrying that, that belly of having to deliver the baby. Can you talk a little bit about that for me? What that was like post? So when I left the hospital, you know, I, I was still in the labor and delivery unit. So I could hear, like, I'm in the maternity ward. Um, I can hear babies crying mm-hmm. in my room and I'm laying there and my baby's dead, you know, like, I mean, it, it was, it was incredibly painful. Horrific. And, Horrifically yeah. hard. That's what it sounds. Yeah. They should have a different. They unit. should. They yes. should. And so there's some places I actually, in the UK, um, they seem to be a little bit more on top of it than here in the U S. Um, I've seen a couple hospitals in the UK that are doing ju- exactly that. They're having a separate ward. Um, so, you know, it was, it was tough cause I was hearing babies cry. And then, you know, when I left, I, you know, I'm being willed out and I'm seeing moms like, you know, coming in pregnant and like, or leaving with their babies and their stroll. And I've got a folder with one piece of paper in it, you know, like, and I just felt completely like, I, and I say this a lot in my, in my posts and in my groups and stuff like that, that, you know, I, I felt like I died and it's cause I did. That version of me is gone. That 22-year-old, like, fun-loving, like, I'm still fun and loving, but, like, now it's like I, I am. It's tainted. It's like, um, you know, I have a, I have two rainbows, well, rainbow and a double rainbow baby, and those are just babies you have after loss, and people assume that, you know, it's going to, like, magically cure your grief, um, and it doesn't. It, in my experience, has complicated it even more. Um, because I see what could have been right. Like what should be. And I see my daughter, Lorelai and my other two daughters, you know? And so it's a really painful thing. Um, and I think it's just, there's so much shame and that's why I'm, I'm glad that I'm, you invited me on here. Um, because one, you know, women feel like their bodies failed them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I myself lived with a lot of guilt. Like I should have spoken up, right? I should have known. I should have, which I, but I did. I did. My doctor just didn't listen. You know, they should have done an ultrasound, not a fetal Doppler, because they can check cord blood. They can check all of that. 
And if they would have done an ultrasound, they probably would have seen that the blood flow on the cord was not how it should be. You well, know? let me just tell you something. Yeah. Um, cause I went through, um, something and, and I don't go into detail on mine. Maybe someday I will. Um, but what I'll say is, um, doctors don't know everything uh-huh. <laughs> and you're very lucky because I now have, I have my own experience with doctors and I, and I happen to have the best ob in the world delivered both my babies, but I had a really bad experience with an ob prior to Dr. Suriel, who's my, who's my idol. I love her. Still go to her, by the way. Um, and, uh, you have to, what you talked about in the beginning is listen to your body. Listen, we, we as women have so many like gifts and I talk about this a lot, but we have this instinct, right? Where we know if you have like this weird feeling, I always had, have had these weird feelings when I was pregnant and I would listen, or I'll give you an example. When Ella, my nine-year-old was, um, she was four months old and, and, she had a fever and I took her, I went to put her in her si- in her co-sleeper and I had called the doctor and the doctor said, this was her pediatrician at the time. They said, well, she should be okay. Just make sure you like, you know, you do the baby Tylenol and you like monitor. And it was a Friday night. I'll never forget it because also I was wearing a see-through shirt and, and I was nursing and I got, I was so out of it after what I'm about to tell you that I wore the see-through shirt in the ambulance. Um, which was really embarrassing. Um, but what I will say is she immediately seized when I put her, gave her the Tylenol, she, she began to seize. And I knew, I said, this isn't like, there's something wrong. And I had known it all day and I didn't do anything. And so I like, look back on that time and I was like, I should have, I should have done something. I didn't listen to my instincts. And so she ended up, thank God, like, and we, we rushed her to the hospital. She was okay, but we were in the hospital for a few days and it was a, um, like a kidney infection, like went to her kidneys, which is really, really dangerous in babies. Um, but ladies, if you're listening to this, please, like we're given that gift of, of, you need to listen to your yourself when you have these feelings that something's not right, whether it be with your baby or really anything in life, I think. Um, but I just had to say that I, 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 it, we have a huge issue in our country too, with, um, mortality rates and we live in the richest country in the, in the world and our, our mortality rates and like pregnancy issues and women is, at an all time high, um, not to mention, you know, minorities and what they go through and, and they don't, they're not getting the care. So I had to like, kind of go off on a tangent right there and just say that. No. And you're right. Because I mean, yes, listen to your body and you know, your body and you know, your baby, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, like you've been carrying them, like, you know, their movements. Um, and you know, I think that's, that's super important. And I think another thing though, is, is like you said, you know, doctors don't know everything. They're not perfect. Mm -hmm. They're human beings. They're going to make mistakes. But I think that on another level, there is medical negligence that isn't acceptable. And as far as, you know, if, if a mom comes in and says, I feel off, they shouldn't just do a fetal Doppler. It should be standard protocol to do an ultrasound and check the cord. Right. Like that should just be like what they do. It should be. Do they do that now? Is this something that's common or it's still not being done? I wonder if it's because of insurance. This is a question I would love to have a medical expert come on and talk about. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to hear what they have to say too, because I, I know that there are a lot of doctors that do do it, but there's a lot that don't because I have, you know, my support group, um, my, I have a private online support group and it's got over like 8,000 members. And, uh, you know, I see these, they just share their stories all day. It's just stories of, you know, their babies. And, um, there's a lot of medical negligence going on. A lot. Wow. I mean, you just don't even think about, you don't think about it. Um, well, and you know, you you go into the hospital thinking, Oh, I'm going to have my baby and everything's going to be fine. Like you did. You just, 
Yeah, it's just devastating. And I am so sorry. But something else that struck me that you said was, and I talk about grief and loss a lot on this podcast, um, is a part of you was lost that day, mm-hmm. right? That version died. And, and I think that that's 100% true, that that's, you know, something that can happen. And I, and grief is a club that nobody wants to be in. I say this all the time, but we're in it and it changes you as a person and you carry grief with you in different forms for the rest of your life. So like with you sharing the story of your daughter, what was her name? Uh, Lorelai Antoinette. That's a beautiful name. Thank you. And, and so you ended up leaving, leaving the hospital Yes. With her death certificate, which, you know, everybody, I can't even imagine how horrifically hard that was. And I'm so, so sorry. Yeah. I actually, I didn't, it wasn't even her death certificate that I left with. I didn't get that till later. I, I literally had a folder with just a list of like resources and it was all like in-person support groups uh-huh. and a prescription for sleeping pills. And I that can't is believe that so, that's what, how it's left. It, that's it really, all it is. Yeah. Yeah. And then and this, you know, this was in 2012. So I wonder, do you have any idea on how things have evolved? And I'm not going to bring in the whole what's happening with, I mean, maternal rights, but because huh. uh, everybody thinks differently on this, but this, I'm sorry, this comes down to there has to be exceptions because when the women are going through such hurt, you must hear it all the time because of what you do. Yeah. And this is, this is really important. This should not be a political issue. No, this is something that can you imagine what people have to go through? They have to deliver to term knowing there's something wrong with their baby and men should not be making these laws. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is like, so my foundation, you know, we spread awareness for all pregnancy and infant loss. So I'm not, even though yeah. it's stillborn, still love, that's because it's my story. You know, my daughter was mm-hmm. stillborn. Um, my mm-hmm. book is stillborn, still loved. Um, so it's, but really it's all pregnancy and infant loss. And that includes terminating for medical reasons, you know, mm-hmm. and within the loss community, that specific group of women, that's like a taboo subject within a taboo subject. You know, and I'm very like, I have like a no tolerance policy in my group. We allow all types of law. Like if you say you don't get a warning, basically it, you're mm-hmm. out, you know, like if you don't like the post, you just keep, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really quite simple. And, um, so it is, it's, it's tough. And I, you know, I heard kind of, it's a common thing for people to say, oh, you know, I just had a miscarriage or, you know, I can't imagine what you've been through. And the thing is, is we don't, I always tell people, we don't, we don't want to compare losses. Mm-hmm. It's easy to like, it's okay to say, I can't imagine. But at the same time, that's like, in a way, I think that's our brain's way of minimizing our own grief. And that's, I don't want that to happen to anyone. I don't want anyone to think like, oh, their grief is worse than mine. Cause they lost their baby later. At the end of the day, we lost a baby. We all lost a child. At the end of the day, we all have the same secondary losses. So our primary loss is our baby, right? So that we share that. And then we've got our secondary losses. We have loss of their future, loss of faith, loss of hope, loss of all these secondary losses. And we grieve them differently. Like we, you know, we all have our own belief systems, like how we grew up, all of that. So that plays a huge part in how we actually grieve. But the grief itself, it's not that complicated. Well, let me, that, that pivots me into another thing. So what, what I drives me nuts is what you kind of just touched on is, is how women don't, cannot support each other in the loss of, um, miscarriage in general, even if it's at an early stage, like, like you just said, because grief is different for everybody. And, and, you know, you could have lost a baby and heard a heartbeat at seven weeks and then your baby's gone. And just like you said, you have all these hopes and dreams 
and you picture the life and you say you're somebody that's been trying forever. I, I went through fertility with my second mm-hmm. um, and I would go into this. I've talked about this before on the podcast. I would go into these fertility clinics and I either got one of two things. One was dirty looks because I was bringing in my, my um, like they're four years apart. So my three-year-old in, you know, and people were giving me dirty looks because there's nothing like that kind of pain, by the way. And I understood that that must've been awful, but I didn't have a choice. I had to bring my baby in. Um, but also just how we can't talk about it. And it doesn't make any sense to me because we should be able to talk about loss and it really doesn't matter what stage you are. And it's almost like, I don't understand it. Can you, do you have any thoughts on that and why we are the way that we are? Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft. Made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft. Made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so I think, again, it boils down to belief systems and how we were raised. I mean, you yeah. got to think, we all, like I said, we all grieve differently, okay? But then everyone has their own perception on when a baby's even a baby. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Some people don't believe yeah. it's even a baby until it's, like, literally physically born, like, which is, I have family that that's their belief. Um, and then you have people that, you know, they believe it's at, at conception, right? Like you've got all these different beliefs surrounding this one subject. <laughs> and of course there's going to be conflict. The thing is, is it's not other people's place to make the decision of when their baby mattered. It just mm-hmm. isn't your place, you know, like it, you can have your opinion you know, that's fine. But if there is a grieving mother or a grieving father and they're devastated because they lost their baby at, you know, eight weeks, show support. I don't understand why it's so hard to, like, just be kind, you know? But we're also we're also leaving out the medical side of, like, you know, if somebody has a choice, like, there's a condition with the fetus and it's the mother's life or the fetus – People need to understand, like nobody goes into that desperately wants a baby, Uh goes into this going, oh, I just don't, I'm done. I mean, there are people that 
have abortions and don't want the babies. And that's a totally separate thing than what we're talking about today. This is like, I'm going to give the example of somebody that desperately, desperately wanted a baby, a child, like more than you will ever understand. Mm -hmm. And that there was something wrong. And, um, and I honestly can tell you, I don't think that it's anybody else's right opinion, nothing to understand what the pain is like to go through that sort of loss and what, what people have to go through. And it's nobody's business, but your own. Right. And that's how I feel. And I think a lot of women are afraid to talk about it because we're, there's so much judgment out there and we just really need to work on making child loss in general or stillborn loss or any kind of loss. Even if you've lost a a baby in at six, seven weeks, that's Mm -hmm. a loss and it's different for everybody. And we just really need to embrace each other and push and hold each other up during these times. Right. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, with early loss, it's just like, you know, you feel, and it's common, a lot of women say they feel like their bodies failed them. We're women. We're supposed mm-hmm. to be able to carry a baby. And then you have people that have repeat miscarriages, miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And people are like, oh, you're just losing them at eight weeks. I don't know what the big deal is. And these are things that people may be listening and thinking, people don't say that. That's not, it's said. I have literally been told things like, well, imagine how much worse it would have been if you would have had her and then she died. Or imagine, you people know. Need to, people need to shut their mouths on what they say. And honestly, I had this conversation because I just went to a funeral of a friend of mine, which was awful like two weeks ago. And one of my best friends from high school and I were driving down the street and we were talking about how what people say to each other when you're you're going through grief. And there's never, I've been through it numerous, numerous times, I still do not know the right thing to say to somebody. And you're a grief coach, but I think you need to be careful what you say, even if it's coming from an authentic place, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, I think the best thing that you can say to anyone is I'm here and I'm here to listen, mm-hmm. right? You tell me because yeah, I, mean, I don't comes- know. When it comes specifically to pregnancy and infant loss, um, Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest gifts you can give someone is just reminding them that you remember their baby existed. Mm. Okay. That is the biggest gift because one thing that, you know, we we're still parents, right? Even like I have living children, but there are many, you know, lost parents that don't. And they're not even sure if they should say they have kids. That's how deep this goes. Like, it's like, oh, you're a mom. Yeah. Like, oh, like how many kids do you have? And they're not sure if they should say anything because it's one, they're not sure if they want to open up like that. Right. And then two, it's like, it makes it awkward, you know? And, but with people that are close to you, like people that are family and friends, coworkers, that kind of thing. I think really the biggest gift is to just say their name. Say the baby's name. Let, you know, there is no fix to this. There's no, that's why a lot of my stuff, it's like, I call it the journey of healing because it's not, you're never healed. Mm -hmm. And my big thing is I felt very disconnected um, for years. And I found connection once I actually started like kind of befriending my grief. (laughs) I was like trying to pretend I was happy, pretend I was okay and all this stuff. And people would say things and I would just kind of like, it would hurt my feelings. It would literally like cut me open, you know, but like I would just keep my mouth shut. And then once I got like empowered enough to be like, okay, this is it. I cannot, I can't live like this anymore. Cause I was just, I went down a pretty dark path there. Um, you know, I started speaking my truth. I started openly grieving and telling people, no, I'm not okay. Like when they tell you, okay, no, I'm not <laughs> like, I'm not. But do you think, do you think that people say, so I've heard this before. I joke a lot when somebody says, cause I'm very open. I mean, I, I couldn't be more open about my mental health struggles. Like pretty much, I think everybody knows. So at this point in a magazine article just came out to my whole area. So now really, honestly, everyone knows. Um, but I joke. So, so you know how somebody goes, Hey, how are you? Like you're saying, yeah. and then I go, would you really want to know? Yeah. 
do you really want to know who I, how I am? Or are you just saying, hey, how are you? Right? I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. People it, just are like, well, I didn't really want to know that, but right. why can't we really talk about it? Yeah. yeah. Right? Because it's so important. I think people are just deathly afraid. I, I wonder too if people are afraid that if they talk about it, it could happen to them. Maybe. I think it's a lot... Cause I, I talk a lot with, um, like I do like, uh, these like groups with, um, friends and family of people that have done mm-hmm. lot, you know, that have suffered a loss. So they know how to support. And a big part of it, um, that I hear a big thing is that they don't want to bring it up because they feel like it's going to make them sad. Mm. The thing is, is we parent differently. And that's kind of where I was going before was, you know, I have living children, but like, Lorelai, like, I can't protect her physically. I can only protect her memory. So I parent her in that way. That's how I'm parenting my daughter. Do you feel like she's spiritually here? Like, I know that I have an angel. I know that I, like, I know, I believe in all that stuff. I talk about signs all the time and grief on this podcast. And and what is, I mean, if you don't mind talking about this aspect of it, is spirituality important to you? And how did you, how were you able to, if you are spiritual, forgive and move on? So I was raised extremely religious. I was mm-hmm. raised, I was witness. And, um, oh, wow. yeah, so I, you know, I, I fell away, uh, is the term they use, um, when I was about 18, when I got out of my, my parents' house and, uh, you know, I still kind of went here and there, but I wasn't like fully in it, you know, and I still believed in Jehovah and God and all of that. When I lost Lorelai, I was extremely angry mm. at God. Um, you know, how, how could you let this happen? She was perfectly healthy, right? All this stuff. Um, and I went from being angry at him to really not believing in him at all. Just being mm. like, um, and through the years, cause you know, it's been a while now through the years, I've kind of transitioned into, I'm definitely like a spiritual person. I believe in something. I don't want to say a God. Um, I, but there's something, you know, whether it's a universe or, and en- I definitely believe in energy, but I, I, um, I don't want to say that I believe in God per se. Uh, but I do think that I get signs and I think that my sign is butterflies and that's a pretty common that's um, mine too it's a pretty common sign and what's really strange is it wasn't I I hadn't even connected the dots on signs or anything and still I until I started writing my book and my book's all about my story of loss and it you know guides you into your grief and all that stuff but I ripped myself completely back open writing that book because I knew that when I went to Barnes and Noble after my loss, there were like no books on the on the subject and the books that there were, they were just too medical. There was nothing like raw and like open and I couldn't connect to anything. So I was like determined to make this book as raw and honest as possible. Um, but in doing that, I, like I said, I completely ripped myself open and that's when I started seeing butter, a butterfly, the same color, a black and orange one different sizes, but the same color all the time. And it was always, I would write my book when I was outside on my patio. And it was weird because when I was on my patio, just like talking to friends or whatever, that butterfly never came. But when I was writing my book, there it is. You know what I'm saying? And that even to this day, if I'm like outside talking about Lorelei or like, you know, I see that same colored butterfly. It's very strange. Okay. So number one, I have the same sign. Um, mine is a monarch butterfly and um, I have been known to, and I'm not going to, this is very strange. One day I was like on a walk. My listeners know this if they've listened to my podcast for a while. And um, I was going, I was in a really dark place in like 2019, 2020. And I started talking to on the wood chip path, (laughs) a butterfly, because I've had so many, like, that's the sign of my best friend who I lost is the butterfly. Um, and monarch butterfly. And one day the monarch butterfly followed me, same butterfly all the way up this giant hill when I was at my darkest, darkest time. Mm -hmm. So I think that 
I think that no matter what your thoughts are on like spirituality, religion, whatever it is for me at different periods of loss and grief in my life, I've gone, why God I'm done, walked Mm -hmm. away for me. I've come back. Mm -hmm. Um, Things continue to happen. I don't think we're ever going to know, but what I do love is that you consider her a part of your family and to talk about her and include her and have a name. And I think that that's really important for people to understand. I I will never understand what it's like to have gone through what you've gone through and with that loss. But I think there's a lot of women that can. And so I'm so grateful to you that you have started this foundation, number one, but also that you wrote that book. (laughs) I mean, think of how many people like you're touching with that book and it's so true. It's all about like medical and, and all of, and there's not enough people that are willing to like be honest and real. And, and like you said, like writing, writing is reopening that wound. Take it from me. I was supposed to have a book come out this year and it's probably going to take me 10 more years. Cause every time I sit down to write, I ugly cry and have snot bubbles coming out of my nose. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's the thing I, I tell, you know, my, our, the followers of the foundation and stuff, I'm constantly reminding them that and trying to empower them to share their stories because our stories have so much power and they connect people and they make people feel less alone. But you're also keeping your baby's memory alive. I wrote this book, which I have it right here because I didn't know if you'd want what to What is it, the book called? Can you hold that up for my stillborn still love everyone that's listening and I do my youtubers can see that right now yeah, on butterflies um and is but, it uh, where is it available is it it's uh, Amazon Barnes and Noble yeah Amazon Barnes and Noble okay um but yeah um when I wrote that book you know I was it it did it I uh, felt like I was kind of like lost her all over again kind of um it was really heavy but I'm always telling people that this is this this is powerful. Like, yes, it's my story, but it's Lorelai's life. Her little life had such an impact and still is helping people. And that's a beautiful thing. And if that's I always say that my daughter, there wasn't a good enough reason, you know, that my daughter died. There will never be a good enough reason. But she didn't die for nothing. Like there's gonna be something beautiful that comes from this. And the foundation and the support group and my book is all her. It's all her. What, what's that? Do you have, have you been, have you had more children or just the one? So I have Levi. He was, he was already born. He was two. And then mm-hmm. Lorelai. And then I had Rory. Uh, well, her name's Aurora, but we call her Rory. <laughs> um, and she's mm-hmm. seven. And then I just had Indy. She's five months. So, oh, wow. yeah. So I, I have, you know, I, um, I did have some miscarriages in between, um, uh, more like chemical pregnancy type type deals. Um, but I still grieved them, um, and mm-hmm. it still, you know, it makes me sad. Like it, it's just like, but then at the same time, it's like you know, you wonder like, well, then I wouldn't have Rory or I wouldn't have Indy. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of like a bittersweetness, yeah. like for sure. Um, but that's what, what was it like? What was it like? Sorry to talk over you caring. Were you terrified the entire time, especially with the first? Um, yeah. So Levi, was Levi the first Levi? Levi was, it, was before Lorelai. Levi is so, your first. Yeah. Okay. Before Lorelai. And then the baby and then your child in between Rory is Rory is you ter- the next one. So, in, so it'd be okay. Levi, Lorelai, Rory. So, okay. Rory, um, Yes. And that's what I was going to say before, like when was, we were going the same direction. Um, yeah. Carrying a baby after you've lost a baby, it just, your anxiety's through the roof. You feel joy and all this happiness, but you're scared it's going to be ripped away because you know, the reality is you may not be leaving with a baby. You know that now because you've lived it. So you are, it's like, uh, you know, your emotions live side by side and that's okay. Um, but I would constantly have to like tell myself like, this is a different pregnancy. This is a different pregnancy. And luckily I got really good doctors and I was, I was a little more outspoken. Right. I didn't care anymore. If I looked paranoid, like I did with Lorelai, like I was like, no, you check. Like nothing ended up being even remotely wrong, but it was like, if I feel like something's off, I don't care if it's my anxiety. I don't care. Like, 
check. And, and then with Indy, you know, she was six years later after Rory. So I, I was even more empowered and I knew more, even more. Right. And so I was like, no, you need to do this and this and this and like, you know, and luckily my doctors were like, okay, let's, let's do it. You know? But, um, I think it's, people do, they assume like, cause you get pregnant again, like, oh, well, at least you can have another baby, you know? And it's just like, yeah, I guess. That's not the right, that's not, not the, the right point. thing to no, say. that's not the point. And yeah. my living, they, they don't erase Lorelai. It, like I said earlier, it just complicates it. Honestly, it really does. It just complicates your grief even more. Well, they also say that losing a child is the most horrific pain you can ever go through in your life. You know, I mean, it breaks up marriages, it breaks up, um, families. It's, it's, it's very, very difficult. And, um, so that's why I'm so tremendously grateful to you because I think a lot of people are just too scared to talk about this topic. So the more that we are able to kind of spread awareness of this, of this exact topic and be real about it and talk to other women about it. I think the better off we'll be as a society. It's really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that's the thing is, is you, it's healing to talk about your grief and your feelings and connect with people that are going through similar situations, you know, um, but not just, it's not even just that. It's like, you're literally keeping your baby's memory alive by speaking their name and, and sharing their story. And so that's why, you know, I'm, I am grateful that I, we have the capabilities, right. To like have online communities and like create these safe spaces. It makes me sad that it's grown so quickly because that just means mm-hmm. babies are dying, you know? Um, but just empowering women with knowledge and like not feeling shame and speaking their truth. I think, you know, we're headed in the right direction. You know, what, what is your, um, what is your Instagram so people can follow you? Um, you posted something the other day that struck me and I even screen, I, I like, I'm such an old lady. I'm like, let me screenshot that so I can save it for our discussion. But, um, (laughs) I thought it was so powerful but tell everybody while I'm looking for that little thing that you posted where people can find you on Instagram. Yeah, so it's literally just stillborn, still loved foundation on Instagram. And it's the same on Facebook. Um, if you have, if you lost a baby and you're looking for a really loving community, um, the our online support group that's private, it's on Facebook. It's just stillborn, still loved. You'll see it. Um, and, uh, we have a very loving community in there. I've had very little issues at all over the last couple of years with judgments and stuff like that. And I'm constantly, you know, monitoring it. And like, if I see anything, I pretty much get it out before anyone even sees it. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's It's a safe safe space is what you're trying to say. No matter what, yeah, Yeah, no matter what stage you lost at, we've got people that lost their babies at, you know, seven weeks and we've got babies that died from sudden infant death syndrome at eight or nine months old. Well, before I close today, Haley, I mean, you're just a tremendous, I love meeting people like you. I'm so (laughs) grateful, but also if there's one thing that you could say to somebody that could be listening or is a friend that maybe will share this with their friend that's gone going through this right now, is there one thing that you could say to someone right now that might be experiencing this kind of loss? I think that the biggest message that I really want to get across to people is that your grief is okay. You're not crazy. Your baby matters and you're not alone. I mean, there's a community that is there for you when you're ready and you are still a mother and you're still a father, even if you have no living children. I think that's like, you know, I think that's important for people to hear. Well, I'm so grateful to you for coming on. Um, And I'm going to share when this episode comes out, all of your socials. And I really would love to spread awareness about what you do because I think it's so, so, so important. Everyone, thank you. I know this was a heavy topic today, but honestly, 
There's so many people out there that really are going through stuff, whether it be loss and any kind of loss, grief. You never really know what someone else is going through because not everybody talks about it, right? So be kind, like try to be nice to other people. Um, if you see somebody that's struggling, like smile at them, say hi. There's so much anger and um, division in the country and in the world right now. It's just so important to like reach out because you really never know what somebody's going through. So Haley, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Um, your little angel, Laura Lee, is looking down, smiling and shining at, on you. And she's so proud of her mom. And that makes, I hope that doesn't make you emotional because I'm crying. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, everyone, I, I like that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, that's, it's so important to me. And that's why I do what I do is because I don't want anyone to feel like how I felt so alone and disconnected. But also, like you said, like her light is just shining. And I, and I love that. <laughs> it is. I, I for sure like feel it. And I know that she's there and she's with you. And she's like, wow, look at my mom. So everyone in closing, be happy by making other people happy. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection. Hanna Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hanna quality for your most precious gift. Hanna Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.